Ladies, gentlemen, and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by one other member of, or two other members, I'm sorry, of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. And the communicative, and the guy who's also friends with Sam, Cicero Holmes. Yeah, hey, Chris, I'm still waiting for that drink you owe me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well we'll we'll get around to it unaddressed, uh, right? Yeah, but um, very pleased to be joined by two great debrief friends, our resident Trek expertise cultural archaeologist Kyle Sullivan, hello, and Trek fan and Speed Force scholar Javi Trujillo. Hello there. Hello, sir. Thank you. Thank you both for for taking the time to join us. So uh, another peek behind the curtain. Uh, we were just going to talk about one episode, but Paramount Plus decided to get all crazy and try to, I guess, cultivate some of the goodwill they lost by canceling Prodigy and release a highly anticipated episode additionally. Uh, and we're still going to keep the schedule going. So there's another new episode that's coming in three days from the time we're recording this. So we are actually just going to roll right into our episode discussion and forego our panelist check-ins got a lot to get through um but suffice it to say you know we'll touch soon on some of the other stuff that we got in terms of looks at the franchise like a look at discovery season five and lower deck season four as of right now though let's move on to our discussion about episode six of star trek strange new worlds season two lost in translation So as usual, these episode summaries come from the fine editors over at Wikipedia, even though they are very svelte and they don't really do a lot to address character progressions. But let's begin. The Enterprise joins the USS Farragut to repair a deuterium refinery. Ensign Nyota Uhura begins experiencing hallucination, hallu, hallucinations, hallucinations of strange noises and frightening images, including the deaths of her parents and former Enterprise engineer, Hemmer. Meanwhile, Lieutenant James Tiberius Kirk boards the Enterprise to visit his brother, Sam. First off, did anyone else gasp at the sight of undead Hemmer? Because I wasn't expecting that. And I was wholly unprepared for it. You made a little bit of a noise. Yeah, he was gnarly. He was pretty gnarly looking. Uh, zombified. It's a family show, right? <laughs> scary. Zombified Andorian. Uh, just on that basis with that visual and the way that it set up Ahura's sort of askew perspective, even though we didn't know that's where it was going yet. How did you guys feel about the way that it kicked off with that? Uh, Cicero? I was uh, a little nervous, um, <laughs> you know. Like, I'm 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 not a big horror fan. I will watch horror movies, yeah. Um, but but I I have to mentally prepare myself for horror. So, like, if I know I'm going into horror, I'm in the mood for horror. But I don't necessarily like horror. Like, I don't like my chocolate getting into my peanut butter sure. when it comes to other things, unless they're prepared. You know, if it's Halloween or something like that, I'm prepared for it. But even then, I'm still like, eh, I got to, you know, peek through my eyes. Uh, so I, yeah. So, yes, yeah, like Zombie Hammer was like, hey, wait a minute. Is this a zombie episode? Like, mm, I don't know. Maybe I need to go to the bathroom first before I finish watching this. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't exactly sure what, what we were getting ourselves in, in for. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was going to like it. Sure. Yeah. Javi, how about you? How did the, the, the kickoff for this one go over? Well, I've been waiting all season to see um, – I can't re- remember his name right now. The actor who plays Hammer. Oh, Bruce Horan. Uh, yeah, Bruce Horak show up because when they killed him off, they said, "Don't worry, don't worry. This is Star Trek. He can come back as you know an Andor, or obviously an Andorian, but you know another species like uh, Jeffrey Combs has played. I don't even know how many different alien races because all of, of them. makeup, half yeah. the galaxy, about a billion. So I w- I've been waiting this whole time to see him return, and I did not expect it to be as a zombie uh a near so 
we've had zombie Vulcans on Enterprise, and now we have you know zombie Andorians. So yeah. uh, it caught me off guard because you know we watched it at night with the lights off and the volume way up. Because for whatever reason, Paramount Plus is always a little bit quieter than some of our other streamers when we listen to it. So uh, yeah, it definitely caught me off guard, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Rachel, anything you want to add about zombified Hemmer? I mean, I think I said it all when I said he's gnarly. He's gnarly. All right. Kyle, um, I don't really know if I've actually engaged with you on like horror elements in Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek seems to be quickly becoming a medium as opposed to like a specific genre of storytelling. But how did this one kick off for you? Yeah, boy, do I have thoughts on that for the next conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't even notice. Like, I didn't know it was Hammer. Uh, it was just like a jump scare, and then we moved on and cut to the commercial, and then came back, and I, uh, I just like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> My lizard brain was watching at that point. You know, I didn't sure. really re- until right. I was like, oh yeah, that might have been Hammer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. at that point, I was prepared for the ride. You know. Um, I was going to say like, you know, it was low, very low grade horror. It wasn't like, you know, no one got slashed, for example. Um, <laughs> yet. Yet. Yet, actually. Um, but the, uh, it just didn't, it didn't, I guess it was uh, an indication of the episode we're going to get, but uh, lizard brain. I didn't realize what kind of episode we we're going to get. So go to a haunted house with Kyle and let him go in front. That's. Uh, Dude, I'm. I'm chill. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, um, this marks the first truly canonical appearance of the Enterprise's future captain on Strange New Worlds, while also marking the earliest point in the prime timeline we have seen Kirk in live action. So uh, obviously, we got a lot to go here, um, but from Kirk's introduction, you know, we've had an unusual perspective on the performer, but he's never actually played the guy that we know, technically speaking, although there are certainly echoes of the guy that we know. Uh, so how does uh, Kirk compare here? Tell me your thoughts about Kirk in the show and in uh, his performer as a lieutenant, soon to be executive officer of the USS Farragut. Uh, Javi. I've got my hero back. I wasn't expecting that. Um, it it took some doing. Uh, his first appearance as the alternate Captain Kirk of the Farragut uh, was kind of on the fence. And uh, he definitely won me over a lot more um, with his adventure with Lon. But I think this really cemented him for me as, you know, on par with Ethan Peck as Spock. Uh, there's, uh, there's some stuff that happens later on in the episode with him and Nahora that very much felt like you could see where Kirk is coming from in Star Trek two and five, that I really liked those echoes. It felt like the character without being an impression of Shatner, which that's such a fine line to, to delineate. Cause like you want him to be like him, but if you're even remotely like him, it's almost like a parody. Mm. So I feel like he's off on a good start being a younger version of this character and actually being a character. As opposed to a caricature. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Rachel James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah. Well, that was very well said, Javi. Uh, I very much agree. <laughs> um, I, something I have thought is that I, you know, what I really like is that he's not doing Shatner. He's not doing Chris Pine. He's kind of his own kind of deal. And then sometimes I, I'm like, well, it doesn't, it's not, is, is it Kirk? Uh, is it not Kirk? I, I don't know, but I like what, I like the character as he is and what the actor's doing with him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, overall, I'm happy. Excellent. Cicero, Lieutenant Kirk, and uh, the apparent constant annoyance he has for his brother. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I this is a Kirk that I could see myself following into battle. I don't know that I really believed 
in the leadership of Shatner's Kirk. Hmm. If you know, um, in, in in so much that, like, yes, he was the captain, and as a result of him being the captain, there was a level of respect, and and uh, and and there was a, a um a uh you you defer right you defer to his leadership because he is the captain you defer to his position but but as opposed to th- this portrayal is of someone that is personable that someone that is charming someone that that really kind of understands me at a human level that would make me say hey you know what this person has earned um m- my loyalty and i can i can see that already in in the portrayal that that i'm that i'm seeing here um that i don't you know there were different times right like so so um shatner's kirk was from the 60s and so he was personable for you know and personable and progressive for the 60s um and and now we've got a kirk that is personable and 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 progressive for the 2020s right and there's there's 60 years difference in terms of what those what that same phrase phrasing means um for, you know for for our culture uh so i like i enjoy that perspective and i and, and i think it gives me a chance to see how much we as a we as an American culture have progressed in that time if you know if both things are even right if they are equally as progressive f- today as they were 60 years ago so th- that part is great um I didn't grow up with with a biological brother but I have a cousin who is six weeks younger than me mm-hmm. um and we lived at one point we lived above above slash below each other in, in an apartment uh, complex. So we, we are effectively brothers. Um, there were a lot of similarities between the way that uh, George, AKA Sam Kirk and, and Jimmy um, interacted with each other. And uh, I, I really, I really loved it. The, I mean, the best scene of course is when, when Sam is, is, they're in the mess and Sam is, is talking to him and he, you know, and he finally gives Jim his, his, his propers and says, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of you. And he, then he's sitting there and he's waiting and he's waiting <laughs> and he's waiting and he waits and he's still waiting, right? Like he's still <laughs> waiting to this day. Um, Cause it, it never came. And that was, that was awesome. I love that. I love, I love that. I love these, the interactions between the two of them. Seemed very authentic. Yes. Yes. Uh, Kyle, this has to be coming at kind of an interesting time for you just because you've devoted uh, so much of your time recently to expanding and unpacking who James T. Kirk really is. So now we're actually getting like a starting point for him in the prime timeline. How does it come together? I am... I like this actor better than Shatner. And it's hard to say because Shatner's performance is really iconic, right? Um, but at the same time, there's some something strange happening where the actor is continuing with this sort of style of charm that is acceptable for the 1960s, I guess, uh, but that is playing very strangely. Like... I never wanted to punch Captain Kirk before. This guy is is just arrogant enough. I'm like, I just want to like, you know, like I want to. <laughs> Sam needs to like clock him a good time to like set him straight, you know. And I really, I really love the Sam uh, James di- dynamic. I, I think that's the most interesting thing that's happened to Kirk in uh, several several years as far as a character. Um. But I, there's just something strange going on. Like I don't know if the the charm is stilted or something. Like he's they're trying to affect the Shatner charm without leading into impression or something like that. But I feel a little funny at watching him on screen. And mm-hmm. I'm not like a 
a Kirk guy. I'm deep in Kirkness right now for the Trexpertise essay, but like I'm not. There's nothing. It, there's nothing sacrilegious or, or, you know, sacred about that character for me. Like I'm prepared to be like, this is who that character is, and I feel like even at that vantage point, I'm having trouble divorcing uh, this performer from that from the way the characters appeared before. And I exclude Chris Pine. Uh, those movies were a bit strange for me, and that Kirk is kind of an aberration in a way, way more normal. This guy is closer to Shatner than Pines Kirk. Right? Yeah, well, he should be. Yeah. He should be. Um no, I agree with you. Uh at least at least up to a point. I mean, I see where you're coming from in terms of the difficulty that's inherent in extricating the Shatnerian components of Kirk from <laughs> Great word. The main <laughs> portion Shatnerian. of the character. I mean, that's that's how I've always referred to his acting because it is Shatnerian, you know? Right. It's right. Shatnerian. Right. It's just right. that's yes. just like what it is. But um I got a very big thrill from seeing him in this episode. Just because, you know, they've bandied about so many different ways of trying to display what his beginnings looked like. And you know, granted we're still not seeing like the beginning of Jim Kirk here. Like this is still a guy who's pretty well developed. He's just not as developed as we're used to seeing him. Um, and we have bits and pieces from his past that were peppered into TOS, of course. And I like Jimmy boy, you know, that stuff. But um, I think there is something here that does feel authentic in a way that the writers have identified even if I can't quite do it yet, you know, and we are going to see more from him. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much room we're going to have necessarily to explore who Jim Kirk is and the time that's left in the season, but I'm looking forward to it. And I think that the show to Javi's point certainly is going a long way in helping to, uh, to establish who Jim Kirk is without William Shatner. Because if for if we want more Kirk stories, like that's a task that they're going to have to accomplish at some point anyway. Mm -hmm. They might as well do it now, right? So I'm fine going along for the ride because I like the guy. So it's easy for me to say, I guess. Uh, but let's move along with the plot. So Pelia discovers that the refinery has been sabotaged, so she and Una, who does not appear to get along with the new chief engineer, set out to investigate. Saul Ramon, the officer responsible for the sabotage, is taken to sickbay. He exhibits symptoms similar to Ahura's. Kirk and Ahura begin conversing in the mess hall, and after he is assaulted by a hallucinating Ahura, Kirk offers to help the ensign solve her mysterious illness slash affliction. So this is a legendary meeting. Um... Outside of a kiss that only occurred due to mental duress, there was never a particularly romantic connotation between Kirk and Ahura. So I was very pleased that the episode didn't get all Kelvin-y on us. Um, <laughs> what did you guys make of the way they introduced these characters to each other here? Because, you know, this is clearly a guy that Kirk is going to have a relationship with for the next several decades. Uh Rachel, did anything come to your mind when it came to them sharing screen time for the first time? You mean Uhura and Kirk? And Kirk, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I I don't think I really understood the gravity of this one when I saw it. I yeah, well, I was just nobody's like, perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, I it was uh, it was charming um, with her being like you know, shooting him down, but he wasn't actually hitting he on hitting her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then she punches him in the face. I mean, I could see why, like why he would want her as an officer in the future. Mm -hmm. um, Cause they, you know, they had such a nice rapport and they were solving a mystery together. And that was, it was all very, very nice. Um, yeah, I think I have more to say about the Spock and Kirk meeting, so we'll get there well, when but, we yeah, get there. Uh, we're saving the best for last, okay? okay. So, yeah. uh, Cicero, you have been pretty effusive in your praise of Celia Rose Gooding as Ahura. Um, 
And obviously this is a link between Kirk and Uhura that exists because of the original series. Did you feel like it was uh, the, the beginning of their friendship played out naturally enough? Yes. Uh, well, uh, yeah, first off, Celia, Celia Rose Gooding is phenomenal. Um, one thing that I want to make mention of as a result of watching uh, one of the latest Lower Decks, I learned that her name is Celia okay. and not Celia, um, which when you look at it, that's how you pronounce it. But um, we're going we're gonna to put some respect on her name. Um, so, <laughs> um, but, but nonetheless, um, Celia, call me, call me or text me or threaten <laughs> me or something. Um, but anyway, um, I digress. Uh, so, uh, sh- she's doing a phenomenal job and, you know, I think in the last two or three episodes, we've, we've been seeing, we've like, they've been peeling back the onion of who this character is in, in uh, real fundamental ways that uh, I, I really appreciate it. Um, it's interesting to me that you guys interpreted the, the interactions between Uhura and, and Kirk as uh, non-romantic because I felt like it was very flirty, right? Like I felt like the move, the move was, "Hey, I'm not flirting with you." Like me not flirting with you is oh. me flirting with you, right? <laughs> like, like, oh, hey, you know, I, you know, like I've got plausible deniability. You've got plausible deniability. We're just getting to know each other, and if you happen to just fall head over heels in love with me as a result of my irresistible charm of us just getting to know each other, then yeah, that's just the thing that happened. How very oh, Shatnerian well. of you. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's that, that I think is worth pointing out because is that an inclination you may have gotten if not for the reputation of Kirk preceding him? Well, I think that that was something that even Sam alluded to later in the episode right mm-hmm. the, the, when when the, when Ohura and him are sitting Ohura and and Jim Kirk are sitting sitting down and they're having a drink or sharing a drink and Sam sees them he he makes allusions to the fact that Kirk's got ulterior motives mm-hmm. and he you know that Jim Kirk always has ulterior motives and 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 Jim feels rebuffed by you know by um uh, by by that by that accusation and and but like you know but it's it's the it's the uh the the scoundrel in him that allows him to just feel like oh wait a minute how dare you say something like that of me with a wink and a nod that is how i saw it and i didn't have a i didn't necessarily have a problem with it i it did create a question for me going forward but but it's interesting to me that you guys didn't see that in the performance that I saw um mm-hmm. so maybe maybe it was just me um that was that was seeing that but nonetheless I'm still going to go with the fact that I that's what I saw and as a result of me seeing that I'm going to say that Laan also may have seen that and what happens if Laan and discovers Uhura and and Jim Kirk have uh, some some level of affinity for each other, and we you know we won't necessarily say what it is, but but the you know but there's there's a warming of the of the blood and the and the cheeks for both of them when when they see uh, when they see each other, and how will how will that affect Laon's relationship with Uhura? Hmm. That's a hmm. fascinating perspective. Interesting. Uh, thank you for, for sharing. Yeah. Uh, Javi, what did you see between Jim Kirk and Ahura here at the beginning? I, I totally was just befuddled. I don't know if it was because of the hour when we were watching it, but the whole, like, I'm not hitting on you thing. I was like, but he, he wasn't like, I was just reading it so blind that we had to like pause it and like Brooke, my fiance had to like explain it to me that she knows Sam. 
she knows the stories that Sam has told her about his brother. And that's where she's coming from. I'm like, okay. So while I don't think he was flirting with her, that wasn't how I saw it, but I, I got shades of that, that Chris Pine uh, relationship with Zoe Saldana, where it kind of started off where he was always trying to um, get with her. Um, But just, just very faint shades, not really anything deeper than that. The, the weird thing to me uh, cause it happens a few times in the episode was hearing Uhura call him James. Yes. And just my fan brain, like, well, that's not right. He's the captain. And it's like, well, he's not the captain yet. And then like having to rationalize in my head at some point, you know, she's going to drop that familiarity because we hear bones call him Jim all the time. And even on occasion, Spock will, will drop into Jim, but like, we've never heard that from her it's always been captain Mm -hmm. so like just trying to figure out where the it the change from james to captain went and why they never drop back into that in the future and it's it's one of the just the conundrums of the show is they're so good with the characterization uh in a way that we didn't get in the original series uh from the supporting cast so it makes me want to see more of that and when I go to rewatch the original series now, I'm not getting that, unfortunately, mm. just because of the product of its time. Sure. Well, maybe they went back into it. I mean, the Enterprise A was decommissioned in 2293, and the Enterprise B was commissioned that year. So then Kirk it was, was gone. Maybe, maybe alive for what? They like had two they months. Had two months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, excellent. Uh, uh, observations of course kyle how about you in terms of the way that this sort of friendship uh started out what what was your take um i definitely saw that kirk was flirting i think cicero's right okay even if he doesn't mean to he means to he just you know what i'm saying like he just sort of like he he can't (laughs) stop him and uhura had her deflector shields up the way she would um I think I thought it was a very interesting, believable situation for them to have to figure something out together. It's not, it was an organic way for them to meet, you know, and it wasn't overblown. You know, a galaxy didn't have to explode for that to happen, which was very, very lovely. I like when galaxies remain unexploded. Yeah. And it's, nice. um, it's, it's one of the perks, you know, and <laughs> um, I love the actor playing Uhura. I, I, I like her a lot more than the actor playing Kirk and I like him just, just fine. And watching them together was a lot of fun, but he, he, he feels like he's, he, if he's talking to a turbo lift, he feels like he's flirting with him. And I think even this actor <laughs> is carrying that forward. And it's a little, it's no wonder Sam thinks he's arrogant because he is. <laughs> it takes him pretty far, you know? Yeah, no, no, it, it, it does. I mean, there's a difference between unjustified and justified arrogance, you know, and yeah. I don't think anybody would say Jim Kirk does not have an arrogant streak. Um, but the difference between him and a lot of other people is he usually knows how to back it up. So. He he will figure it out. And what's lovely about Sam in this episode is that he checks him and you, you can see the contrast there. And I thought that if we didn't have that, I think we'd be in real trouble. We might have been like... I don't know, a little bit out to see. I'm trying to figure out just how off the chart Kirk is. But like compared to Sam, he feels very abnormal. And I think Mm -hmm. that's very interesting to play the two types against each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's move along. So the tension between Pelia and Una, I guess on my end, it seemed maybe a little contrived, but I guess there is a naturalistic component of it just considering the personalities that both characters have. Did you guys feel like this little subplot added or maybe took away from this episode? Like, it, was this a series of interactions you guys were happy to see? We haven't really seen Pelia interact with a lot of other members of the senior staff yet. Um, so how did this one come together for you guys, uh, Javi? Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it carried the theme of loss, um, really well it added into that, but in a different shade than we were getting with Ohura and with Kirk talking about, you know, their respective uh, traumas. Mm-hmm. So I liked, because we haven't really dealt to, other than the funeral, like we haven't really dealt with Hammer's death. 
And for a show that prides itself on serialized characterizations, I'm glad that we got to it, at least, you know, by the midpoint of the season, um, to see how everyone's kind of dealing with that and how it would be hard for her uh, to come in with these people that, you know, had this relationship and the, like the tutorial videos between like Hemmer and Ohura were just, just, that was the side of Hemmer we didn't really get to see. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, all this stuff to me was just pure gold. And yeah. even um, uh, her line about like Hemmer was like one of her best students. Oh no, I just said that because he's dead. He was okay. <laughs> like, she just, everything she does on the show, I'm just enjoying the hell out of it. Great. Rachel, uh, Pelia and Una, did you like the what that added to this episode? Yeah, I think I like anything I can get with Pelia at this point. I wish yeah. she was in it a little bit more. Hmm. Um, like, when are we going to get our Pelia sode? Is <laughs> kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Trademark. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. It was good. Didn't hmm. didn't pull me out of it at all. I like having a a B. A B plot, even if it's a tiny one. You know, mm-hmm. I uh, watched a lot of Simpsons episodes growing up, where there's always an A plot and a B plot. Mm-hmm. So, yep, definitely. Uh, Cicero, how about you? Well, you know, it didn't pull me out of it, but I, I, I think, I think I understood. Well, no, I understood why why number one seemed annoyed with with Pelia but I didn't understand w- why she was saying the things that she was saying. Cause the thing that she should be saying is who the hell gave you this commission? Who gave <laughs> you this position? How is this approved? Like, you know, I'm the, I'm the first officer here and nobody, like I still haven't seen your damn paperwork. Like what is going on here? And like, that is a thing that I still don't understand. Like that has not been addressed. Why are we, you know, like, when are we going to get that one scene where number one and Captain Pike are sitting down and they're talking to each other and, you know, and they're like, the effing nerve of Spock, right? Like, <laughs> sure, she's a great engineer, but like, somebody needs to talk to him about, like, you know, he can't, he can't just, acting captain or not, he can't just make field commissions like that after stealing the ship. Um, so, like, these that's the thing that I, I I wonder about. And I wonder if some of Una's annoyance was fueled by that fact. And it would be great from, from my point of view, if some point at some point later in, in the season, we, we get that moment, right. Where mm-hmm. the captain and Una and Spock are talking and they're like, Hey, you know, it really pissed me off that that you that you decided to give this person a job and not talk to us about it beforehand, right? Um, Spot giving away these senior positions, like right, 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 right. And, and you get one, and you get you get a pip, and everybody gets a pip. Um, so yeah, like that was that was the thing that I was focused on. Less so than whatever whatever contrivance machine was was You're not still at working. Position yet. one, and they've yes, already moved on. Right, right? Right. Yeah. I'm still I'm still stuck back there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but I I do I do love Pelia. I love uh, the the actor who I always look at and think is a different actor, but is but is also an actor that I love. Um, but uh, yeah, that 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 line about uh hemmer being one of her favorite students like nah i just said that because he's dead um <laughs> it's such it's such a great line it's such yeah. a great line and she's got she's got a bunch of them i i can imagine that that was an ad-libbed she's line. she's delivered stuff like that before yeah, I, yeah. it's easy for me to believe yeah. too yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah which is th- those those are those are fantastic if it was ad-libbed if it was written Brava, but yeah. but I, I suspect that it was ad lib. Well, writing can only take it so far, right? The delivery right. has to yes. punch, and yes. she's good at that. So, yeah. uh, Kyle, you, if memory serves, another episode, you uh, 
express maybe a little frustration with Pelia. How did her appearance in this one impact your perspective? Um, maybe not frustration, but I was still, I, I was uncertain. Like I, I, I'm not, sh- I'm still not sure if this character is going to work for me. She seems more like a forest elf than an engineer, and I find that to be really strange. Um, I, I felt this conflict with her in number one was a little bit contrived, and when they mentioned the hammer reasoning at at the button of this thing, I was shocked by that. I was like, "This is a hammer thing." Uh, you know, I, I just I don't know. That took me by surprise. I felt like they could have laid that groundwork down a little more because, like, the whole time they were talking, hammer wasn't a thing. Meanwhile, over in the Uhura storyline, we saw zombie hammer and we kept seeing hammer and like there wasn't anything to sort of tie tie number one's issue to hammer and so like i think we're missing just a piece mm-hmm. in the writing to sort of connect that um sure. but you know it it was it was okay you know mm-hmm. it was an All okay right. b plot <laughs> sounds good well let's uh let's move along with the plot so Ramon escapes sickbay and attempts to sabotage the enterprise or sabotage if you want to get Shatnerian. Uh, Uhura pursues him and unsuccessfully attempts to calm him down. Kirk rescues her before Ramon is blown into space by an explosion. Uhura discusses her hallucinations with Kirk, and he helps her realize that she needs to confront her grief about her parents and Hemmer rather than ignoring it. Um, This episode, especially the parts featuring Ramon, really reminded me of a season seven episode of TNG called eye of the beholder where counselor Troy is investigating the apparent suicide of a crewman under the influence of something. But I mean, that's only like a peripheral sort of association. It just seemed like, you know, even the photography, like going into a specialized chamber of the ship at where this, this guy meets his end. There was a lot of like, just, I went, Oh, that, that happened. That reminds me of that. But, um, you know, the, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious about just like, what do you think the biggest benefit that the character had on the story in, in terms of Ramon himself? Was it to serve and build up Ahura's resilience? Was it to demonstrate Kirk's dedication or heroism? Uh, or was it something else? What was the biggest element that the Ramon <clears throat> character contributed to for you guys? Uh, Kyle? I think that he serves as an example to all of us that if we don't make A's in high school, we'll end up working at a Wendy's or something. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't on a starship. He was on a, a a mining station. Anyway, I think the point of his character was to illustrate how dangerous Uhura's predicament was. Like she, he was her future if she, if they couldn't solve their problem mm. and they elevated that danger by making him unpredictable and killing folks and sabotaging the ship. Uh, I didn't, Make that eye to the holder connection. That's pretty solid. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, Javi, how about you? The uh, w- What kind of shadow do you think Ramon put on this episode? I, I think I think Kyle just hit it on the head. I mean, it was to, to service Uhura's story and, and show where she could go. And, you know, give us a, a sacrificial red shirt to just add that little bit of classicness to the episode. You see, stay in school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Uh, Rachel, you probably made the Eye of the Beholder connection. Yeah, too. I did a little yeah. bit, but I'm always kind of thinking about that episode. It's pretty. Oh, okay. <laughs> pretty yeah. creepy one, I thought. Yeah. Uh, what kind of, do, do you think that, do you agree with these guys or do you have a different take? Yeah, I I agree with them. I don't really have anything to add about uh, Ramon. Okay. Uh, it was it was really hot when Kirk grabbed Uhura and like pulled her out of the <laughs> a wave to safety. That was cool. Oh, wait, you mean like you mean like hot sexually? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he was like saving her. I, I liked that. <laughs> All part of his plan, man. What? There you go. Just, he's still hitting on her. Like, right. yeah. from <laughs> that's right. Yeah, this that's was purely that's... like my gaze on yeah, it, not course. that I no. interpreted yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Right. No, I, I, I get. It. Uh, Cicero, do you have anything to add about Ramon after that? Uh, you, uh, plot fodder Jenkins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, not really, man. Uh, yeah, I think I think your your uh, observation of why Ramon was there in the first place, why he was added to the episode, it was correct. The initial one, I think that Kyle, uh, you know, put the nail on the head. 
Uh, and and then you know Javi added a little adobo to it by nice. by <laughs> by 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 saying that like um, that his his uh, his sacrifice was like the red shirt, you know, um, and and a nod to everything, and uh, you know, and as as usual, Rachel is right. There's nothing more that we can add. Well, I'm for one, I'm glad you're bringing the food references back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hey, I'm hungry. They, they, yeah, they can't. They can't be away yeah. for too long. Adobo sauce, bam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I want to address Kirk again because the conversation about um, confronting death seems particularly uh, fascinating to me. Just looking at this guy, because um, it, you know the the relationship with death that Kirk has by this point is not particularly well documented. Um, Prime Kirk, of course, has both of his parents, but he's still defined really at this stage, at least I would assume if I could be so bold, uh, defined by cheating death. And it's not something that he's going to have to seriously confront until he loses his best friend and then his son in relatively quick succession. Um, you know, but, but between an episode like Errand of Mercy and the war that was depicted in Discovery, we could probably infer that he had to get up close with death during the war. And oh, conscience of the king, Chris. Tarsus Four, yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Tarsus Four, it's a, it's a different kind of relationship to death than uh, than he'll have to confront later. I was probably just stuck. You're, you're absolutely right though. Tarsus yeah. four, he had to confront it on certainly a larger scale. Um, but he also has to exhibit a lot of growth that he didn't necessarily get to by the time we get to the movies, right? Like mm-hmm. he has almost this immature kind of approach to death, but maybe because younger Kirk is closer to those experiences that he had as a child and he's coming off of the war. Uh, I actually think that the war kind of fits in in an interesting way because by Errand of Mercy, Kirk is pretty well established with his bigoted relationship or bigoted attitude, I should say, towards Klingons uh, that's not going to be resolved until Star Trek VI, until the, very nearly the end of his life. Um, but I'm curious just from from you guys, what did this communicate about Kirk to you and how do you think this speech aligns with what we know of Ahura's own history of loss? Is this something that she needed and did she need it from Jim Kirk? Javi? Well, like I was alluding to earlier, like there's, there's shades of his, you know, how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. And he doesn't want his pain taken away. He needs his pain. And all of that um, you know, comes together in the speech that he gave her without being like a direct quote from those movies. And, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, like I feel like the allegiance that we see his crew have for him later in life, like we see the seeds of that forming here, at least between Kirk and Ahura, like there's a very deep connection that gets formed between the two of them in that scene that, it really moved me when I watched the episode both times. Like they're they're he's helping her get through her loss that she hasn't dealt with ever. And and I just I found just the whole thing really powerful. And that's what I love about these characters is is how they connect to each other as people and the bonds that they form. And I, I thought they did a great job of of planting that space seed. Oh, 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 minus 10 points. (laughs) No, very well said. Uh, uh, Yeah, makes sense. Um, Cicero, you uh, just a few minutes ago were talking about uh, the components that Kirk sort of brings to the table in concert with Ahura. uh, And you talked about how this is a Kirk that you can see Following into battle, uh, do you concur with the esteemed Mr. Trujillo? Yeah. So the things that I said a few minutes ago, as you pointed out, um, are directly related to the things that I knew that Javi was going to say in the future, because it is 
it is precisely the things that that Javi brought brought to our attention that led me to believe and led me to say the things that I said about this particular Jim Kirk. Um, so uh, yeah, um, uh, hey, I'm a, am I time traveling? Yeah. Uh, so uh, tenant stuff, right? Right. right, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I think that the problem with the problem with Captain Kirk and TOS is that when you get there, he's already a captain, mm-hmm. right? And there isn't enough of us learning about who he was prior to a captain, right? Because, yes, we do get, right? Like, we do get the, the story about Tarsus IV um, in, in in season one, but, but kind of like – that's it. Like there's, you know, there are a few references to, to his days before being a captain, but nothing, not enough that would lead you to, there isn't, there isn't an episode of uh, the original series that is, that is like the episode of uh, TNG where Picard um, that will, tapestry. you know, we'll wind up talking. Yeah, tapestry, right? Where where Picard, uh, you know, almost dies, right? And we get to see Jean Luc Picard, early Jean Luc Picard, and and kind of like him taking the forks in the road that lead him to where he is today. Um, and we, you know, we also get the the it's a wonderful life. It's the you know the Christmas Carol version of of Captain Kirk. I mean, of of Captain Picard as well. In that, when he, you know, he doesn't make those choices, um, but this right here is a chance for us to get not only just an episode of of Captain Kirk kind of showing us who who he is before he becomes who we know him to be, but it's like we're we're getting you know we're not just getting a glimpse of it we're going to get like a view of it right we're going to get like a a a, a full on mural of of who of who captain you know of who jim jim kirk is before he gets captain um you know his before his first name becomes captain and and I'm really really appreciating that, and I think that the the way that the performance is going, the way that he's written, um, and and you know, and the way that he's shot, is is really giving giving me a, a chance to have a level of admiration and reverence for the character that I don't that I think I had, but I don't necessarily know that he earned. Hmm. Okay, and I think that he's earning it now. Excellent. Hmm. Interesting. Kyle, what do you have to add to uh, the the topic of the, the sort of pep talk that Jim Kirk gives to Ahura? I, I think that uh, this was the best scene of the episode. I think mm-hmm. that uh, Ahura's f- fear of death and the way she's connected to loss makes perfect sense. And it wasn't until Javi expressly said it that the Tarsus Four shadow, you know, it, it makes perfect sense here. And like, uh, this essay I'm working on, like the thesis behind it is that Kirk's life is kind of tragic. And I watched this episode with that in the background. Like, so like Tarsus four happened, his brother dies, like all of the attempted romances kind of fall apart because of career. And uh, he loses Spock, he gets him back and like, he can't keep the crew together in his later years. And like, he he's a guy who's so ambitious that he ties himself to his job and it's satisfying. Like it gives him the thing he wants in life to, he goes out, he makes a difference. He can explore. He can be kind of a loose cannon, but inside the confines of star Trek or the Starfleet. Uh, but he's still got this tragedy that he's kind of dealing with in the background. And like, I'm, I was really surprised in that scene when they led with the tragedy, like his attitude on death is like someone who's seen it like the Tarsus four stuff, especially, but he's seen it. And like, that is, uh, the most surprising thing I've seen them do with Kirk. And, um, I, I like it. It also makes him very f- much more flawed than he was before. Like he wasn't flawed in TOS. He was iconic in the movies. He became like more of a three dimensional character. He is very flawed now. Like it's a weakness 
I think. He's going to get lucky, I think. That's how he winds up in the captain's chair. Not J.J. Uh, Abrams style lucky, but like that ambition is going to be the luck. But otherwise, like he he might be a little too risk taking, and you can see that with his with his attitude on death alone. You can kind of see that. I, I really, I really kind of liked it. It stood out for me as a scene. And saying that, it makes even more sense why it all kind of comes crashing down for him when Spock dies. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's his family. That's all he has. Yeah, you get the sense that this sort of cavalier attitude that he may have been putting on, regardless of his understanding and an intimate understanding of death, uh, still crumbled under the weight of a deeply personal loss that was then exacerbated when Kruge murdered his son. So, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah and right, the, sorry, the Kirk we have right now, he doesn't have anybody. Him and Sam are like, you know, they're... They're going to bump heads the minute they start talking to each other. Did they he did. Have Carol, maybe, maybe. Uh, he did. That was the most. I would think that's Carol Marcus is the most significant relationship he did have outside of his crew. But right did now he he doesn't even have a crew. Like so, sure. he's just got his career, and so like he is connecting to Ahura, and like he's friendly with Spock at the end, and like I think he's reaching out. He's looking for people, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's who he is right now. He's just sure. a career guy. And the the career is the only thing that's keeping him from blowing himself up. (laughs) Well, and that just made me think of it too. The way that he talks to her about death and how death is winning, how she's letting death win. Like at some point, maybe because he went through Tarsus Forest so young that he has to look at it and disassociate and look at it as a game. And, and it becomes that game as he's a captain because he's constantly getting out of situations week after week after week. So by the time we get to Wrath of Khan, he's so used to winning all the time and he doesn't like to lose. When he finally does lose, it's it's devastating. Yeah, definitely. Rachel, do you have any additional color to add to Jim Kirk and Ahura's conversation? No, I not really, because I think you guys really extensively covered a lot of it, but I can just put a bow on things by saying that I really liked how this episode had a really like propulsive and engaging plot that was also like very deeply personal to the main characters of the episode. Um, I just, I was just really appreciating the balance of, you know, exposition and flashbacks with like, actual stuff that's happening with the plot and the way it was woven in, I thought was just really nicely written. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot, I think to meditate when it comes to, to captain Kirk. Uh, But at the end of the day, the, the idea of all of this loss sort of coming to a head, it's one of those things that, Canon really does bring like there's naturally always conversations about how being too focused on Canon takes away from the drama. One of the things I love about Star Trek is that you can have both. And I think it's, it's very effectively demonstrated that, you know, there's, there's enough here without the attachment necessarily to what we've seen before, but it drives significantly deeper when you understand the full scope of this guy's life. And that's one of the things that I love as well. But, um, you know, the, the idea as well of, uh, the connection, you know, you talked Kyle about how he was open to making that connection. And, you know, as much as a lot of people I know for a fact despised it, one of the things we learned at the end of discovery season two was that Spock's sister encouraged him to make that connection when people reach out for him. And that was a very, you know, lightly masked, although arguably not at all masked allusion to this guy. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, it adds us another additional layer that I do find some value in, uh, in terms of how those guys end up making such a powerful bond. Like that's kind of a cool little shader to add on things. Hmm. But, uh, let's move along with the plot here. 
So with the help of Kirk and his brother Sam, a xenoanthropologist, Uhura realizes that her hallucinations are messages from aliens who live in the deuterium and are being killed by the refinery. Ramon sabotaged the refinery to try and protect them. She reports her theory to Pike, and he orders the refinery destroyed. The aliens appearing to Uhura as a healed hemmer silently express their thanks. So we talked a little bit about Hemmer already, but, um, you know, just on the whole, he got a surprise appearance in this episode uh, and he helped Uhura out from beyond the grave, the long arm of the Enar. Uh, and that just makes me miss him all the more. Long um, antennae, sir. I stand corrected. Uh, <laughs> but what did you guys make of, is there anything else you wanted to add just about Hemmer's use here for both the scenes where it was actually him in those recordings that we talked about before uh, and the ones where it wasn't anything anybody else wants to add open, open floor. Yeah. Who is recording the f- video? Uh, cr- I was Ricky. wondering the same thing. Like, cause it like, was floating around like, like someone else was right. in the room and like, right. yeah. why are do they, they not talking? Like, like, Floating video now, like they have floating robots that record video. Yeah, it just something you notice in the moment. I was like, "What's going on here? Who is this third person?" It was Ensign Ricky. Hammer picked Ensign Ricky to record it for Ahura's help. There you go. That's all. Solved. Solved. All right. Well, one final stop on the plot. Then, so Kirk and Sam, who earlier had an argument about their divergent career paths and their father's expectations. Make amends briefly in the mess hall before Sam storms off in annoyance. At that moment, Spock comes to Uhura and Kirk's table, where she introduces the two for the first time. Three of them begin a conversation together, the first of many to come. So uh, I have to say, I loved how tasteful this was. There was no fanfare. There was no crushing introductions. There was nothing, at least to me, that seemed heavy-handed. It was just the introduction, a subtle, tight shot from two angles on the handshake, depicting a moment we've never seen in the prime timeline before. Uh, what? Well, it was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of the business card scene from American Psycho. Subtle, <laughs> tasteful. <laughs> it was. It was. At least I thought. Maybe you guys have a difference of opinion. But either – I mean, regardless, this is a pretty important moment. You know, I think, objectively speaking. So how did you guys come away from it, Rachel? Well, when you told me this was going to happen in this episode, I was like, shut up, Chris. (laughs) It's not that important. Like, relax. Um, And then when it actually happened, I was like, I was like really affected, too. I was like, oh, they're going to be friends. Yeah. So nice. I don't. Yeah, so somewhere in the episode, they got me. They they pulled me into it. Those asshats, right? They saved it, right? They saved it yes. for just the right time. You know, they didn't beat you over the head with it, and they didn't give it an undue level of service. They recognized the importance without raising the flag and firing the cannons. I like that. Yes. Yes. I uh, liked that too. I I don't like the whole. Yeah. The cannons. Right. No, no cannons, which would have happened if they met on Discovery. <laughs> very, More cannons. Very well might have. Yeah. It very well might have. Uh, Cicero, the first meeting between Jim Kirk and Spock. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was gonna um, say something about about your belief that there was a lack of fanfare there, um, because, like, how many times do we have? double shots of people shaking hands right like <laughs> yeah but it was quick right right it was it was quick it was it was tasteful <laughs> but there was fanfare right and, and no there weren't cannon shooting um but they but they were like huh huh you know right like uh the, this is this is a thing that's happening and it was awesome it was awesome it was well done um, it was very tasteful. Um, it definitely was a thing that we were waiting to see. And the fact that they didn't, they resisted the urge to play a theme um, or, you know, or do something goofy with some neons or like, you know, an icon of like a, a you know, like a Vulcan, Vulcan ear pop up on the screen or something like that was, was, it was perfect that they, they, didn't do any of those things and they just kind of left it right there for all of us because we know what comes next. Excellent. Kyle, am I overreacting to this moment? 
No, you're not overreacting. I I will play the devil's advocate a little bit. I, I think the insert of the handshake was a little on the nose. Okay. We know who the characters were. We saw them shaking hands. We didn't need to get in there and look at the fingernails. Um, <laughs> but it, it was really perfect. No music, no fanfare. You just had the background music of, of the 10 forward. What do you call that? Mess hall. Um, and what I really liked about that reminded me of a line from Star Trek two uh, con saying, we're just all one big happy fleet. And like the officers intermixing from different starships, you really felt like the expansiveness of like the Starfleet family and like how they could in their after hours, sit down and meet each other and like, Oh yeah, I met so-and-so from the fair and He's an asshat, but I like him, you know, <laughs> like that, that believability was like really, of course it made sense that they would bump into each other in this way. And I really liked it. No explosions plus 10 points. <laughs> Excellent. Javi, uh, I can't imagine that you lacked a feeling of impact from this. I was stunned that this friendship I've followed for 40 years started over a mutual disdain for Sam Kirk. Because <laughs> I, I didn't necessarily catch it the first time when I watched it the second time. The whole reason Spock's there at that table is to grab the glass that Sam left behind and give it to someone else to clear uh, the table. Like he's irritated still about perfect. the messes that Sam leaves behind That's that perfect. we saw in the prior episode. So to think that their friendship started bonding over his brother uh, amused me to no end. Um, I I love the handshake. It looked like a panel from a comic book, but I got all excited by it. And I love the jazz music, but the pullback shot at the end, like it felt very nice and epic, but I was expecting us like as we pulled back and further back and got around the corner, I expected to see like Laon there looking all sad that, there was Jim hanging out with Ahura and she didn't get to have that drink because she didn't want to like interfere. And then she just kind of mopes and turns away and goes back to her quarters or to go to the gym. That would have been perfect. Some more. Uh, so I was a little surprised when it ended and we went to credits and we didn't get to see her, um, you know, try and have that drink. Well, who knows? Maybe they're going to be having that drink while full throatedly singing a tune. In a couple oh, weeks, God. you know, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you felt it too. You know, uh, <laughs> I expect nothing less. Well, that is pretty much it for, uh, for that episode. Cicero, is there anything you wanted to add to this? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, it was a great episode. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Well, um, we do have a few small items to get to in a, in a regular occurrence here on Discovery Debrief. It's pedantic continuity time. So, uh, Christopher Pike is temporarily promoted to fleet captain in this episode and shortly thereafter meets James T. Kirk. This event was first mentioned in the Menagerie Part 1. Brilliant. Didn't even notice. Brilliant. In Menagerie, he says, we met when he was promoted to fleet captain. Did Did you guys notice Pike's reaction to Kirk? He seemed... He's like, oh, this guy. Yeah. You know, did, did you see that a little bit? I thought that was interesting. I mean, we know from the last season finale, which we still have to debrief, by the way, that he clearly has developed a perspective on Kirk, meeting the alternative version of him, um, which could end up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I just thought that that was a fun little bit of continuity mechanics because conceivably Pike wasn't promoted to fleet captain until shortly before the accident that debilitated him. So how do we get around that? Well, we can we throw a temporary one in? Still all counts, you know? I, I love that. I, I, I love when things like that can be done. Tasteful is the word of the day. I Tasteful. Subtle. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> succulent. <laughs> it was a succulent Starfleet episode. <laughs> 
Oh, right. well, the, the Kirk brothers referenced their father, George Kirk, and his record rise to first officer of the USS Kelvin, his posting shown in 2009 Star Trek. Perfect. Nice callback. We also got a, a Kelvin reference in the first season finale, which was nice to hear. And in similar fashion to their alternate reality counterparts, Kirk meets Neota Uhura for the first time while she's ordering a drink, with Kirk similarly striking up a conversation first. While Kirk is not interested in flirting with Uhura, or is he? Uh, he still manages to get punched in the face shortly after meeting her for the first time. So there are Good. some things that, you know, just rhyme when it comes to time, I suppose. the rhyme It's a canon time. event. It is. It's a canon event. Perfect. It's, it's a good pull. It's a good pull. But, um, well... That uh, that's the end of dis- of the discussion for uh, for for this episode. Uh, before we dismiss, Kyle, thanks again for joining us, and Javi, thank you for returning, my friend. Uh, thanks for having is there me. Anything that you guys want to share, Kyle? I know you're knee deep in the edits for uh, for the Kirk essay, right? That's right. All Kirk, all the time. All Kirk, all it's it's not stopping. It's not stopping. It's like a fairy, uh, Ferris wheel over here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Javi, where can people find your work? Uh, just in my usual spots, uh, batmanonfilm.com. I'm reviewing Catwoman, Batman, the adventures continue, uh, Batman, the brave and the bold, uh, should be coming out my review for that tomorrow. I've got another 007 re- comic review for the James Bond dossier.com. And then you can go to my YouTube channel, uh, the flash up to speed with Wally West, where I should hopefully this week have, episode three up talking about issue three of Wally West's uh, flash run. Excellent. Very good. Well, uh, that is going to do it for episode number one one of discovery debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like, and follow us on our social media channels. If you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it. If you wrote a review for the show, wherever you found it, it only takes a minute. Let us know if you wrote one and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on tw- Twitter. Or X, <laughs> X, I guess. X. Uh, whatever that means, at DSC Debrief. And feel free to send us questions through that platform, at least for now, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time. In fact, if you're listening to this after July 24th, feel free to join us right now as we discuss another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 